the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones. And say to them, O bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is the Lord of God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I'm the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, it was a sound, and behold, a rattling, rattling. Welcome tonight. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors. We all do me a favor and just smile at me. <laughs> Thank you. You look so serious. Uh, it's been a rough week for me, uh, and the rough reasons I'm going to keep private. Uh, but we left Easter, and... Uh, we left something that was so significant and so powerful, especially amongst the staff. We worked really hard at this, and, and we've worked with ourselves first so that we could bring it. And the, one of the beginning causes of my week was on Monday and being out a little bit and, and just seeing the abject chaos in life. And it was like Friday, Good Friday, and Easter's coming, and he's arisen, he's risen indeed, and then we went about our days, and I felt crushed, and I I took that personally, and I shouldn't, because I had a spiritual awakening, and uh, I've been listening uh, to God, and I've been talking to God, and I've been praying to God, and I've been asking for direction and clarity, and what what, what do I do In, in my life? You've given me a platform, a ministry. What do you want me to say? And it just so happens that this Rattle series, today's message is entitled, The Quiet. The Quiet. The Quiet. And that's something I excel in most of the time. I excel in the quiet. And uh, for most of us, we hear, okay, it's going to be a message about the quiet. That'll be cool. But I'm going to guarantee you, uh, statistically, there's about 75% of you who are going to be so uncomfortable with this message that if you were to actually try to do it, you would probably suffer some level of withdrawal. We're busy critters, aren't we? You know, we have the spark of God in us. We have, we have this life. And sometimes we're so busy doing the thing that we forget why we're here. And sometimes we're so busy looking out and talking that we never listen. And this isn't a message to, to like beat anybody down. I'm just going to share some reality with you. And the first reality is, is what does God say about that? What does God say about the quiet? Something we ignore. Now, I'm not talking about, some of you are going, well, we just went through quarantine. I had enough quiet. That's not it. You guys were all running around like chickens with your head cut off. You were just in your own house running into walls rather than out in the world, right? So it wasn't really the quiet. It was called the panic, right? Yeah, we all enjoyed it for the first week and a half. 
except for those hyper type A personalities. They only made it three days. So what does God say? Well, in Psalms, he says this in Psalm 46. I just want you to chill and it's going to be on the screen. You can, you can read. But I, I don't want to spend all your time like flipping back and forth in scripture and stuff. I, I want you to just be quiet. God has a word for you today and it isn't one to memorize. It isn't. It's one, it's one to begin to internalize. Total difference. It's one to start to take grasp of and say, I want this to be part of my life because God says it's necessary. That's why. Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, we will not fear, though the gates of the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations, y'all are political, I know. I hear you. Listen. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. His voice utters, the earth melts. The Lord is host with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still, be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The end. So there's a couple of phrases in there that you hear a lot in the Christian ghetto. And the one is, uh, you know, verse one, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. And we look to that when utter chaos hits. But... The rest of the time, I think that's something we struggle with. But verse 10, be still. How many of you ever raised a child that had a moment of ADD? Every one of you that has had kids. Be still, child. Be still. Be quiet. Rest. Be still and know that I am God. Have you ever wondered who God is? Have you ever wondered what place he plays in your life? And yeah, we have theology and scripture, and, but a lot of times we forget all of that and we'll be driving along and it'll just be a moment and it'll be like, who is this God? Who's God? I wish he would make himself more clear to me. I wish there would be a path, something I could do. God promises us that he will make himself known, and one of the ways he will make himself known is if you, I, we, be still. Be still. Do you know that 
God created the earth. You know, the song we just sang, Every Breath. God breathed the life into humankind. That moment, and God worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. God, I doubt, like, really needed a break. He's God. He doesn't have our limitations. But he was setting the example for us as humans, and one of the things we need is this, out of the seven days, we need this break, Right? And, and it's imperative. There's a ton of studies about that and, and how healthy and good it is for us. But there's also an implication that that's done every day in some way, shape, or form. This moment to be still, to be quiet, to know that he is God. So I spent a little bit of time in statistics, a little bit of time. This is part of why my week was so uh, bizarre. I was already kind of in a negative space. Anybody ever have that? So pastors do too, okay? We get there once in a while. Um, so I'm just Googling statistics, and I'm not going to put all of our, uh, you know, weight to this. You know, take, you can argue, please just argue with Google and not me, okay? Uh, but individuals um, spend over seven hours a day in some form of online or external stuff coming at us seven hours a day. I, I, I don't know math, but that takes up a chunk of the time we're awake. That doesn't mean that's all you're doing during that time. I, I don't know if you guys have this problem, but I'm the, like John Williams and I are the two really sane people on staff. <laughs> and all of them below us, uh, they can't actually have a conversation without their phone in their presence. It's got to be within reach. I, I kid you not. It's one of the things in ministry that drives me the most crazy. I did an experiment with the staff one time. I took like four guys out to lunch and said, I will buy lunch. Get whatever you want. We're going to play a game. Take your phone. Just put it on vibrate. We'll stack them in the middle. If you can make it through this lunch without touching or looking at your phone, I will buy your lunch. Nobody would play. Yeah, that's funny, and it just about made me cry. I'm not going to buy those losers lunch, (laughs) and I really wanted to spend some money because my wife earns the money. (laughs) Families spend an average of 40 minutes a day, two hours on the weekend, with their kids or spouses. That one should make you sad. 40 minutes, not even up to an hour. We're exposed. This one I, I researched all over the place, and the, the number staggers me. It's about how many ads we're uh, exposed to per day. So get that in your head real quick, what your number is, because you're going to be blown away. Average on the low end is 5,000 a day. The average American is six to 10,000 ads a day. And if you think about, if you're ever online and you go to whatever website, you know, you're checking out the news, there's always stuff flashing, isn't it? There's always something. And I don't know if these are exact, but that's a huge, huge number. The thing is, is there's a problem there. There's something grabbing our attention. And you want to know what commercials do? There's one way they sell to you, that your life currently is bad unless you buy their product. Oldest sales technique in the world. Noise pollution. 
So the National Park Service does a study. It's the only one I could find. And the decibels in the super quiet places doubles and or triples, depending on what part of the country it's in, every 30 years. Now, oh, it's every 30 years. That's not a big deal. It doubles or triples. And if you think of that exponentially, if you've ever done the thing with a penny a day and then two, right? And before you know it, in a short time, you're a millionaire. Same thing. We, as humans, by nature, we're required to respond to the noise. We are. Noise is more than sound. See, studies talk about, especially with kids in developmental stages and the amount of noise around them, and not just audible noise, uh, visual stimulation, all, all of that noise that comes in, all of that busy, all of that non-quiet that comes in, is very detrimental to mental and physical growth. There's studies out there, read them, look them up. I already did, and it made me sad. We have a problem. We're addicted. You know, when I was a kid growing up in the 60s, I can remember being in church, and when I went to church, everybody wore... I mean, if you were little like I was, you got to just wear a, a button-up shirt and a tie. And, but once you became somewhat adultish as a guy, you always had to wear a suit. And there were three colors that were acceptable as suits. Some unbelievably ugly color of brown, black, or some form of gray. Those were it. Because everybody knows the other colors are of the devil, right? And someone would walk in with a different color suit. And I remember some of the old ladies saying this. That's really a loud suit. You, you get the picture? It's not just noise. It isn't. It's activity. It's colors. It's all of the things that distract us. We become physically addicted to the frantic pace. I don't, I'm not going to argue with you. I actually believe this wholeheartedly. I've watched people addicted to busy so much so that I, I do believe that they, if they were asked to be quiet for 45 minutes or more, that they would go into withdrawal symptoms and they would not be able to do it without intervention. That's the sign of addicted. Have you ever been with people like that? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Somebody does. Yeah, we all have. Maybe, I, maybe, maybe you're one of those people. I used to be, uh, and, and now I want it to go away. So what does Jesus teach us? Well, he doesn't say a lot about it, but he teaches by action. In Matthew, a couple of different places, it says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Desolate means quiet, a peaceful place. Now, Jesus was the guy who got up early in the morning. It doesn't have to be that, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But he sought that, and it says often. In another place, it says Jesus went to lonely places to pray. And when Jesus is teaching verbally, in Matthew 6, he says, uh, pray in secret. Do not heap up empty phrases, many words. Your father knows what you need before you ask. 
in Exodus and the in the Old Testament, Moses was near the presence of God. I don't know if you know the story or not, but he's going to go up and he wants to see God. And he's heading up the mountain and he's going to get the Ten Commandments and bring them back. And we all have our movie moments of those that we're picturing in our head right now. And that's okay. But when Moses is up and, and God protects him and, and puts his hand over Moses, because if Moses were to actually see the face of God, any of us, in our cre- present state, we would die. That's just the fact. He's too holy for that. And he came back, and from that time on, Moses didn't know when he came down that he was glowing because of the presence of God. And we've been reading this little bit out of Ezekiel to begin these, and behold, it was a rattle. Have you ever thought about how Ezekiel ended up in that moment? Ezekiel's prophet, he's seeking God. You can read all about him. And I'm not going to tell you anything except there was a moment, a while, where he was quiet. He's just quiet. We just made it eight seconds without me talking. How many of you were uncomfortable? Some of us are, because we're used to stimuli. Now, it's a world around us, and and none of us are at fault for being here. Uh, But at some point, we reach the age of reason, and we begin to be rational, and we begin to make decisions for ourselves. And, And so often, we let circumstance be the one that dictates to us. I I know many parents of of younger kids, and their life is dictated by their kids. Do you know how absolutely backwards that is? Uh, It it really is, scripturally, uh, health-wise, all of the stuff. But we qualify by saying it's good, it's just for this amount of time. I raised four kids, it doesn't end. It doesn't. So God wants us to have some quiet time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he builds and he works and he comes to us and he breathes his breath into us and we're many creations. We're created in his image. We're not God, and that's been our biggest concern. We're not God, he is, and he gives us a template to live life. So the seventh day is the beginning of understanding, in my mind, what the quiet is about. So it's a day that's set aside, and we get these weird thoughts in our head that it has to be Sunday. Um, Get over that. We live in a different world. Uh, A lot of us work on Sundays. Our job demands it. Uh, But what he's saying is is that there needs to be a day that you set aside. And it isn't a day like when I was growing up. This, This is how the Sabbath was observed. Get up early. Get cleaned up. And then my mom would go, no, you're not cleaned up enough. Go back. And then come out. And then she would, I'd have the button-up shirt. And I'd have it buttoned wrong so she'd fix it. And by now she's aggravated with me. And I couldn't find one of my shoes. And then I'd find the shoe, and then we'd rush off and get to church. And we were late, and, but in my family, late was, meant that we were 20 minutes early. So then I had to sit still, and then a bunch of people sang off-key, and 
read liturgy that I didn't understand. And then, you know, we get to the point, the exciting point when my dad would preach, and I was always like, yeah, I understand this guy. And then that would be over, and of course, the choir would have to sing three more times. And it's beautiful outside, and I just want to be away. And then we'd get home, and then it was change out of those clothes immediately, but put on something better than you normally wear, which I did. And then we had a big dinner. Naps weren't allowed, but you couldn't play outside either. It was a day of torture. That's not what God intends. What he intends is it for be a, to be a day where you can connect with him. You may still want to do things. Maybe you golf. I'm not saying that's bad. Unless you can't handle it when you shank it into the woods. <laughs> maybe it's mowing the lawn, which is great. Maybe it's sitting there quietly and reading a book. There's no wrong way to do it, but it's a day that's set aside where you're doing things differently than you normally do. It isn't the day to go, well, I can catch up on all my chores, and I can, and I can. So it's this day that we actually set things aside. And we'll have these things that will draw and nag at us that we should be doing these things. Uh, and, and I don't get to make the decision whether that's good or bad, but I'm going I'm to tell you the question to ask yourself. As soon as that happens, as soon as that nagging part comes in, it said, you should be doing this. I want you to say, why? Why? And usually you don't have a valid argument. God desires us because that's how the human body is built. Okay, so now we're at this other portion and it's this, uh, it's this quiet time that's set aside. Maybe it's daily, maybe that's too regimented. Maybe it's uh, you know, twice a week. Maybe it's something, I, I, I don't get to make that decision, but it's, it's a definitive time that you set aside that there's a quiet There's a quiet. Some of us don't talk all that much. And you're not going to struggle with this. Some of us can't shut up. We can't. The quiet makes us uncomfortable. And the reason that happens is because your mind is very active. And if you're not talking, your mind will attack yourself. It says, be still and know that I am God. He's going to beat that battle for you too. Be still and know that I am God. I'm going to tell you, if you went mute right now, you've already said enough words to God. Jesus says, when you go to pray, the Father already knows what your needs are. So the rattling part of this is, what if you needed to change something in your life? What if it's busy, busy, busy? By show of hands, and and I just want you to be honest with this. How many of you, you know, like that attend services somewhat regularly or been to a lot, at some point or another, you've gotten distracted. Usually, it's because, like, I'm preaching and it's boring, right? Or you don't understand what I'm saying. And you just kind of glance and check your phone. How many? I have, when Johnny V preaches, holy cow, I'm using data. No, just kidding. I'm making that okay. So the rest of you are holy or are you liars? You don't lie in God's church. Have you ever sat there and done that? What happens to your brain the moment you do that? You're gone. You're lost. And you want to know the message. Now, 
Let's take it to a more personal. Have you ever been sitting across the table from your wife or your girlfriend, boyfriend, or a significant person, a significant person in your life? Not a significant other, but a significant. And during the course of that time, you suddenly had to check your phone. What happens? You check out. What is the message you've just given to the other person? You are less than my phone. The person who's far away, who is not here taking the time to be with me, is actually more important than you are. And you're also, whatever the conversation is about, that's where your brain goes. You are not smart enough. I don't care what your intelligence level is. I don't care how brilliant you think you are. You cannot think two different thoughts at one time. Amen? You can't. It is physically, humanly impossible. There's probably one abnormal person that you're going to grab onto and say, that person can. Fine, live with that. Because you want to know the message you're giving your daughter and your son and your spouse and your co-workers is you're worthless. You're worth less than my time. I know that's not the message we want to give, but why does it have such a grip on you? Why does it have such a grip on me? Why is it so important, so almighty important to check that thing? Why? You don't have a valid reason. Now, I understand there's certain times in life that's different, okay? So, your daughter's giving birth in another state somewhere, and you're checking. That's cool, dude. I'm not talking about the exceptional times. I'm talking about daily life. So, stop the arguments in your head. God says, take this quiet time. It's part of your rest. The question I've heard, the most profound question that I've heard repeatedly throughout my tenure here, is I wish I knew what God's will for my life is. So, when have you asked? Oh, I ask all the time. Great, when did you listen? When did you listen? So I'm going to pick on one person for a minute. Just a minute. And this person is actually sitting in the front rows. His name is Martin. And he's right there. Will you raise your hand, Martin? So I have a great friendship with Martin. And uh, Martin and I, we, we've never had conflict. We have, we have uh, free conflict where, where like, we can totally disagree and call each other stupid and still love each other. And he's sometimes more smart than I am. And one of the problems I had is I saw something in Martin... That is what I hate about myself. And I've had to work years and years and years to get over this. And it was this, as I began to say something, I would look up at the table, and Martin heard the first three words of my sentence, and then he was formulating his reply. And he would have a reply, and I'll be darned if most of them weren't brilliant. And I started getting frustrated with him. And finally, you know, we sat down and I said, this is the reason why that bothers me, is because you stopped listening. Because when you're busy speaking, your ears shut down. They do. That's just how the human body works. 
that begins to devalue the people and it raises your own value. And the only reason we do that is so that we seem smart. So that, that was me for a long time. And I've had the chance through AA to go back and, you know, try, try to make some amends. And some people just bona fide don't like me. And they don't have forgiveness in their heart today. Uh, I don't try to jump through hoops to make them like me. I just accept it. And to be, uh, use words that are church-worthy, they thought I was a jerk. And their experiences bared it out, and that was the main reason why. So I began this thing years ago, and it was about New Year's resolutions and New Year's resolutions or whatever. Uh, and, and I was all, you know, preachy to God, telling him he should listen to me because they were the dumbest thing on the planet. We should get rid of them. And uh, he challenged me. And so I started doing a New Year's resolution, one thing for the entire year, but every day for the entire year. Because if I try to do things once a week, by the second day, I forgot what it was. That's, I'm, I'm that dumb. So I started doing it every day. And uh, one of them that was life, they've all been life changing and I've been doing it for years. But one of them was every day I'm going to see beauty, I'm going to see beauty. And what that meant was I had to close this and, and open this and have a different heart and use my eyes. And my eyes, like, I literally see kind of people things and now I see who you are. Wake up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but use those and, and seek beauty every day. And the thing is, is that made me be quiet. And in the quiet, God taught me, here's what I want you to do with that, this beauty. This is what I want you to do with it. So why? Why, why is this so important? Why, why is it so important that... Maybe we start going every day, I'm going to take a chunk of time, and we're not going to be legalists about it, and it doesn't have to be X amount of minutes, and, you know, I know some people have, like, prayer closets in their house, you know, that's not going to work for me, right? Closets are for stuff, and stuff goes in closets, and some people have it, and and that's where they go, and, and it's really, that's perfect, wonderful for them, and not for me. You know, mine is, is outside on the deck, and I try really hard every day, to get out there, and I missed some time when it was four degrees, but I tried, but set aside this time and try to get a regimen, and during that time, maybe just get in a grateful mode and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, what, what if you, the phrase, you've been so, so good to me. You've been so, so good to me. Stop blaming all the crap that happened in life that's really painful and hard on him. He's not the author, but we are. Start saying thank you. Thanks. You don't even have to list things off. You can if you want. Like I said, there's no right or wrong way to do this. But in that quiet, say that thing and then just be at peace. Just rest. And if the thoughts start flooding your mind, what about my mortgage? What about this? No, it's like, God, take that away. I need this time. 
So I started trying to figure out, okay, well, I'm sitting here, and now I'm getting anxious. What do I look at? I started looking at trees. I've got about uh, 8,000 trees on my property. I don't know, maybe less. But I got all these trees, and some of them are, I, like, I can actually see them when I put my glasses on. I started noticing the bark on the different things and what lives in the bark. And it's, I mean, talk about weird. I don't care about bugs. I really don't. But I do like the birds that eat the bugs. Holy cow. And I started realizing, do you know this week, it's the first morning I've been out, and before the sun comes up, the birds are back. And they started singing. And I just had this praise moment of thank you for building birds that are so weird. I mean, they're so incredibly graceful, and yet they still fly into my window sometimes. What's that about? But here they are, you know, and, and they're all singing. It's mating season, and they're building, and they're doing, and it's loud, but it's a quiet loud. I'm not rushing. I had a doctor's appointment during the beginning of COVID to go see my rheumatologist and got sent all these emails and I just looked like, yeah, okay. And I drove all the way up to Traverse City and got there and it turned out they were only doing telehealth. <laughs> so I spent half an hour driving one way to sit in their parking lot and call them. That was pretty cool. Uh, but, the, but the really cool part about it was this, is there was no traffic. It was, it was like, this is, this is nirvana. Everybody's home afraid, which is good. Because that means I get the road to myself. And you know, Traverse City is actually beautiful. It is filled with a bunch of knuckleheads that don't know how to drive. But during COVID, I saw the beauty of that part of the world. I loved it. Sometimes God's just going to show us small things, but those small things contain into life-changing things. So how many ways are there to do it? Too many to count. We meditate on his words. There's no wrong way to do it unless you don't pursue it. That's the only wrong way to figure out this quiet time with God and what it means and why Jesus did it as an example to us. It can be a time filled with prayer, thanksgiving, or silence. There's got to be a goal, right? And it isn't just to live a healthier, wealthier lifestyle. It does have incredible health benefits. It, it, it does. Um, but that's not it. Part of it is to begin to feel his love. When you sit wherever it is and you look and you realize that everything on the planet was made by God for you. You're going to do it wrong sometimes. Sometimes we want to shout and give a gift. And I, today, my son Mark and my grandson Leo came over to visit and they stopped at Culver's, which I don't know if you know, makes some of the best burgers in the world and brought burgers, and Leo's in, and I could hear Grandma say, hey, do you want to bring a cheeseburger to Dad? And I'm in, or Grandpa, and I'm in the office, and he could just, I could hear these footprints just sprinting across, because he's so excited. And he starts to say, people, I have a, and then he tripped and actually rolled and fell. <laughs> and uh, he was fine, okay, he was fine, but I laughed really hard, and the burger was fine. It was just pre-shaken, that's all. 
And he had that level of excitement, and, and, and God has that joy too. You can do that. But it's to feel the love, and that's what I felt in that moment when my grandson is running to my office to bring me a burger. And part of it is many of us struggle with belief, with believing that God's love for me and you and us is real. That's the goal of the quiet. And there's more. It's to receive that love, and God, through his infinite wisdom, used uh, New Year's resolutions for me to begin to pass that on. Don't keep it, give it. Receive it, believe it, and then give it. And then one day someone will say, why? And you say, Jesus, that's why. I'm a different person than I used to be. So my prayer is that you, uh, as, as Matt and Vicky come back out, is that you begin to embrace this uh, opportunity to have quiet time and that you're not afraid of it. And you may show withdrawal symptoms sitting there in the quiet. I, I, I would recommend that, you know, unless you have a story or something that's playing that uh, is, is meditative to you, uh, leave your device behind and be quiet and speak your gratefuls and thank you and don't be afraid of it. Be still and know that I am God. He says to us, be still, be still. It means you don't have to do a single thing, but be there. And if you fell asleep, cool. Sleep's good. Just don't be late for your next project. The goal is to point to Jesus. That's the whole purpose. And the only way we're going to be able to point to Jesus is if we start being healthy in our relationship with him. So I, I, I love pauses and I love the silence and I want you to just sit and, and don't stand during this song, during the close of, of this and begin to experience. Don't sing. Let, let the words of the song speak to you. Let the moment just be and don't feel responsible to fill it with some activity like standing and singing. Just receive the blessing of quiet from our creator.